Now, I want to look back uh, for a little while. I'm going to split a service into two, or the sermon into two today. And uh, I want to look uh, initially uh, at the grace of giving and uh, uh, say one or two things in general terms about that. And then uh, look a little bit more directly at our needs uh, and what we're uh, asking about today. This, uh, I think this is, marks a very significant and important day in the life of uh, the congregation. I think we're uh, at a stage where we're giving thanks to God uh, for his goodness and grace and for his past blessings. So that in 2001, when we met together here, there was probably about 30 of us in the church. And uh, we're grateful to God for the way that he has blessed us and he's been with us and uh, almost sometimes despite ourselves, that he has uh, poured out his blessing on us. But it's an important day as well because we're looking forward. Uh, We're looking forward to the work of the gospel progressing and developing, we hope and pray. Uh, We're trusting in God, and uh, there's a little bit, we talk a lot about godly fear, uh, but there's certainly fear uh, as we trust him, Uh, not and by that I don't mean reverence and all, which I hope there is as well, but also uh, just that sense of moving forward into the unknown and uh, uh, developing uh, the gospel work here and uh, as we seek to plant churches in the city also. And the commitment of that and the cost of that uh, in lives and in time and in energy and uh, in finances and in everything else. So we uh, uh, recognize from that point of view, it's a really important day. But it's also, I think, an important day because uh, we're embarking on a week of prayer. And we've done this uh, severally uh, in the church over the last number of years. And uh, we hope and pray that that will be for us not a ritualistic week. I also hope and and pray that it will not be something that you will leave to others. Uh, We uh, believe in this church uh, very much in the power of prayer, probably not enough. But we do believe in the power of prayer. And we believe in praying together. We believe that's important. We believe that's biblical. We believe that's what the New Testament church did, that they came together and they prayed. It's a great benefit and a great value in praying alone, but there's a huge benefit also in praying together and in sharing prayer and in sharing testimony and in needs together in prayer. So corporate prayer for us, not just in city groups, but as we gather together, is really important to us. And uh, maybe you're new to the congregation. Maybe you come from a different church where that hasn't been the emphasis, where that hasn't been important. You've never thought of coming together uh, and worshiping in prayer with uh, the people of God. And we would really encourage you. It's uh, so uh, encouraging and uplifting for us to pray together and to believe in the corporate uh, sense of praying uh, God's will. But I want to look briefly uh, for the first half at this grace of giving. And primarily look at the motivation behind it and look at grace itself. Because a very real uh, biblical truth for us is that grace should transform us. That's a fundamental truth of the gospel for us. We believe that Jesus Christ, who comes into our hearts and lives, takes us, and he uses the illustrations himself, from death to life. You know, he takes us from that position of not knowing him to knowing him and loving him. And it, it can't be more radical than that, uh, that we come under his uh, living power and living grace. And grace should, in our lives, transform us. Now, we see that radically 
in the story that we read. It's a great picture, isn't it? Because it's very immediate and it's very clear and it's very simple to us. Here's Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is radically and quickly changed by grace. Grace changes him from the inside out. His whole nature has changed. The thing that was most important to him is radically changed and radically different. Poor Zacchaeus was isolated. Money was his idol. Wealth and riches is what mattered to him. He would sell his granny in order to have money for himself. He sold his kind of uh, cultural loyalties uh, in order to make money, to cheat uh, and to lie in order to get more money. So he was wealthy. He was hugely rich. But he was miserable in his life. Small man, big bank account, miserable, um, uh, shrunken heart as he uh, abandoned uh, the reality of who he was. But the claims of Jesus Christ, and we don't know how they came about for him. He must have heard, would have potentially heard them as he collected uh, the taxes of, of this man, Jesus Christ. He was, what we find in this story, is irresistibly drawn to Jesus. It's a great sense, isn't it, which it, he forgoes all, he, he abandons everything, he forgoes all dignity and uh, his lack of popularity as it would have been. And he climbs a tree in order to be seen by Jesus. And this well-known uh, children's story that we know and, and we sing uh, about, or we did used to sing about it in uh, Sunday schools. But he was irresistibly drawn and was willing to make a fool of himself to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And what he heard that day was something far greater than he could have expected. Or the that day itself was far greater than he could have expected because not only did he get to see Jesus as Jesus passed by, but Jesus stopped directly at him and spoke to him. Can you For us, that's not a shock because, well, we know this story like the back of our hands, but for Jesus, that was like, for Zacchaeus, that must have been a great shock. This Jesus Christ who is popular and who is well-known and who had crowds around him, uh, stops at the base of his tree and tells him, Zacchaeus, I need to come to your house today. What a great shock that must have been for Zacchaeus, but a beautiful and exciting and great shock for him. And we, we're not told the conversation. It's like it goes behind closed doors. There's no media conference. There's no expectation of, of what is said. But we do know that Jesus says uh, about Zacchaeus that salvation has come to his house uh, this day. He understands and he knows and he accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and as his God. And he knows forgiveness and he knows joy. And he knows, what does he know? He knows riches. He senses all kinds of different riches, spiritual riches that he'd never had before in his small, shrunken, prune-like life which was devoid of real living and real joy and real fellowship. And all of a sudden he sees uh, what he's been missing and he values true riches for the first time and he knows what he has found. And immediately he opens, or he opens his home to Jesus. It may well be that others came in. We know that uh, Matthew, the tax collector, did the same Levi, that when, he became, when Christ met him and transformed his heart, he immediately opened his home to all his friends 
and all his fellow tax collectors. And Jesus went and sat with them and uh, ate with them. And more than that, he made reparation. Uh, Zacchaeus here, he gives back. He begins to just let the money flow out of his life uh, because his priorities have changed and he sees things differently and he understands what life is about. Now, Zacchaeus lived a long time before the famous missionary, Jim Elliot. But Jim Elliot says as well, doesn't it, in a very famous phrase, which I'm sure many of you have heard, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's exactly where Zacchaeus was, and that's exactly what uh, he recognized and knew. So in many ways for us, in our lives, and beyond this gift day, uh, the challenge for us is what kind of givers uh, are we going to be? I want to broaden that out to just really about our whole life. What kind of givers are we? In other words, when we see Zacchaeus and the value he immediately was able to place on grace and on the change that grace made to him, uh, the question is for us, what value in our lives do we put onto grace and onto forgiveness and onto rescue and onto the change and the transformation that Jesus makes in our lives and onto the freedom of being forgiven and redeemed by Jesus Christ. You know, and I think, what I, I think, uh, for many of us who are brought up in the church, who are brought up not really knowing anything other than God's grace and goodness and maybe our lives and hearts, it's much harder. I think for us, and it's, if you can ever talk about the disadvantage of being brought up in a covenant home, and I don't think you really can, be very careful with language, but one of the challenges is that it's easy for us to take for granted what we have. And it's easy for us to cheapen it and not to value it and not to allow it to mold and transform and uh, change the way we are. So it's, I'm sp- a lot of today is, is really uh, looking at our own hearts about the motivations that we have and the desires we have and the understandings that we have about grace in our own heart. Um, and the first question I want to ask is about our motivation to uh, ask um, in Romans 8. It's actually, I think, Romans 8, 32, not 42. Um, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So I want to just start about and speak about seven days of prayer for a moment because uh, that corporate prayer life is very important to us. And when we come together uh, to ask and to pray together, it's because we recognize our Father And we recognize that he has already not spared his son. And therefore, when we come to him and ask him, he will graciously give us what we need, give us all that we need. And that is what we're looking for. We're looking as we come together corporately to recognize that as a congregation, we can't do anything of any lasting spiritual value unless Jesus Christ is at the heart of it, unless the Holy Spirit is the one in whom we rely on. We're going to be praying for renewal and revival. We're going to meet 7 o'clock tonight uh, as a kind of introductory one. And then 7 o'clock every morning this week, without the extra hour of sleep, and uh, at 12 noon, and then at 7 in the evening. Now, I know everyone's not going to make everything, but between us, there's a big group that we can come together and that we can pray. We're going to pray for different things every day. We're also going to pray every day for three of our friends. I I hope we can pray for more. We're not limiting it to three friends. 
I hope you've got more than three, three friends who aren't Christians or family members that you plead for, that you long for, that you would love uh, to see coming to Christ. And you'll not just do it in the privacy of your own heart. You'll do it with others. And they will see your burden. And they will share your burden. And we will share that burden together for Jesus Christ and for the cause of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Uh, because that's what we do. Because we're a family. And it seems strange. I mentioned this last night to the elders and deacons. It would seem strange, isn't it, that we have a family gathering that we meet together and we don't pray. We don't include our Heavenly Father in, in our times together. And uh, that we would just pray only privately to our Father when we're a family. That we do these things together and alone because we recognize the significance and the importance and the willingness of our, God says it here. He has not spared his own son. And so we know he's graciously given uh, him up for us all. Uh, therefore, we can go to him with our requests and we can ask him for his help uh, and for that he would change that. We live in a hard, secular, dark day and it seems difficult for us to understand how, how people will become Christians. We know we need God. In any day we need God, but we recognize and need to show him that, that we recognize we need him to soften and break the hearts of those that we plead for and long for to come to faith. There's a story told about Alexander the Great. I'm not, as those of you who are in the congregation know I'm not very good at stories. I usually get the punchline wrong and something very... But I hope you'll get the point of it. And I hope I remember it. Uh, because Alexander the Great was known for his wealth and uh, his... I don't know if he was known for his generosity, but he was certainly known uh, for his wealth. And he had a general who was very loyal to him and who served him over many years, whose daughter was getting married. And uh, the general uh, didn't have enough money for the wedding. So he went to Alexander the Great and said, Look, I have served you for many years. And uh, my daughter is getting married. I, sim I don't have enough money to pay for the wedding. Will you help me? Will, can I come and ask you for the money so that uh, this wedding can go ahead? Alexander the Great said, Yes, of course you can. Go to my treasurer and ask what you need, and I'll make sure that he pays it. So this uh, general goes to the treasurer, and he asks for an inordinate amount of money, way beyond whatever anyone has ever asked of Alexander the Great before, and way beyond what you think you would ever need for the marriage of your daughter. And the treasurer says, well, look, I can't, I, I can't sign this out. I'll need to speak to the great leader and see what he thinks. And he did so in fear and trepidation. And he goes to Alexander the Great and says, look, your general who you asked to come has come and he's asked for this amount. And Alexander the Great smiles and he laughs. And he says, yes, of course. Give him that amount. Give him it all. And the treasurer says, why? Why? And he says, because this general... It's great for me because this general recognizes that I have the resources, that I'm rich, and he also recognizes that I'm generous. And so the, the same is true of the way we approach God and the meagerness sometimes with which we ask of God because we think he's mean, because we think he, he's not interested, because we think he won't care and won't give to us. 
There was someone who was praying last night and saying that 90,000, which is kind of what we're looking for in terms of the building, it's not a great deal to God. Of course it's not. It's a great deal to us. Fears us, fills us with fear and trepidation. But God is a willing God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. And we are to be motivated to ask him for our friends, for their salvation, for the amazing reality of them coming to know Christ, and also for the resources that we need. Will he not graciously give us all things? So we should be motivated to ask. I think we should also be motivated to serve, uh, sorry, to share the gospel uh, through our lives. Uh, I'm broadening it again uh, beyond, a kind of, in a sense, a simple gift day because we loved you so much we were delighted paul says to the church in thessalonica to share with you not only the gospel of god but our lives as well isn't that a great thing is you can't in fact you really can't do uh, the opposite you can't share the gospel with people meaningfully and significantly without sharing your life because our lives are to be a reflection of the gospel. So before any financial sacrifice that we can ask of anyone here today and of ourselves, the giving of our lives to God in the gospel to others is our response to his glorious grace, to his outstanding provision, to the fact that he has done this for us and uh, we have eternal life in him. So we look for our lives to be lives of generous obedience, generous grace in our homes, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our conversations, that we share the gospel through our lives. Just like 200 people here. Think of the power of grace and testimony of you all in your lives as we are motivated to share the gospel with his grace and with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Think of it as the 200 of us plead small numbers, but we plead for lost souls and plead for renewal and rebirth. What a motivation that is for us that we go from here sharing uh, the gospel through our lives. And also, of course, we're looking today that we are motivated to share our wealth uh, and maybe some of us don't feel that that is an adequate uh, description of uh, our financial uh, situation, and it may well not be. But nonetheless, we are asked to uh, recognize the motive uh, behind that. Um, okay, Luke 21. Uh, have you got Second Corinthians 8 9 there somewhere? Or did I maybe get that wrong? I'll maybe just look it up. Uh, technology. Can't, can't use it. Um, yeah, Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, I, sh- I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that for, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, oh there we go, might become rich. So we're motivated to share our wealth. That's, that's the story of Zacchaeus, isn't it? That's the theology behind Zacchaeus' conversion. You know, because he big, he, even if he didn't truly understand at that point, 
he would have come to understand that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, that for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. And Zacchaeus understood that. He'd been looking for riches in the wrong place. He'd been looking for the financial security that actually doesn't go with us beyond the grave. And even when it does, will not give us the security in life that we need, which is that relationship with God in Christ and the riches, spiritual riches of grace that he gives to us. And as he shares himself in costly, extravagant, abandoned love and commitment to us, divine largesse, then we begin to appreciate that we can share with him from our financial abilities and gifts uh, in a generous and a blessed way. So in a sense, um, this is an appeal day and, um, you know, I, I sit uncomfortably with appeal, appealing for money in the church, uh, but I recognize it's important and part of uh, our wider theological understanding of who we are. It's much bigger today than in a sense in an appeal day. It's about understanding the law of grace that makes us generous people. Just generous. You know, generous in forgiving. Generous in the way we treat other people. Generous with our time. Generous with every gift that we've given, and uh, uh, including our money, uh, so that we hold on to it loosely. And as you know, the New Testament would speak of, that we give uh, sacrificially and cheerfully and, and regularly and proportionately. So what kind of givers are we? That's one of the questions. There's an interesting uh, illustration that I read this week about the kind of givings, givers that we could be, uh, the kind of material that you, uh, we, we could be likened to in order to get something out of. Uh, and there was three illustrations. One was flint, uh, which you need to hammer to get anything out of, and even when you do it, chips and sparks. Or we can be sponges, which if uh, they're squeezed and pressured, you will get more out of them, but it will be at great cost, and they'll lose their shape and they'll eventually rip up and die. Uh, or we can be honeycomb givers, which are overflowing with their own sweetness. That's nice, isn't it? Uh, the, there's a recognition there of who we are. And uh, another New Testament illustration that's similar to Zacchaeus uh, would be the poor widow, you know, she, Jesus says she put in more than all of them. So it's not about amounts of money. It's about recognize, It's about giving as a honeycomb giver. You know, it's recognizing that we give because it flows out of us because we understand what we've been given. For they, Jesus said, all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. A true honeycomb uh, giver. And uh, I guess... That's what we're looking for in our lives, to be that kind of person. Now we're going to sing together uh, before uh, moving on to uh, just a little bit more practical, a uh, few words about giving. And we're going to sing, uh, this is a, uh, a psalm, Psalm 37, but it's the praise version of the psalm. Um, it's not uh, the version that we normally sing. Be still before the Lord in patience, learn to wait and never fret, crime succeeds and some grow rich and great. For jealous discontent tends only to destroy the meek who look to God their Lord, a kingdom shall enjoy. And it's speaking about uh, finding our, our wealth and our, our peace in God rather than in riches. And I just want to make a couple of points here. Um, 
uh, at this point before we, we sing and, and uh, take up an offering. And uh, the first is about uh, the gift day that this is, a one-off gift day. It might stretch, uh, but uh, the actual the day is focused on today. And then also uh, a little bit very briefly about 10th for strength, which is uh, more than about today. So I'm sorry, you're, you're really getting a double whammy today. Uh, I don't often preach about these things or speak about them. Maybe we don't say enough. There's a, a sense of embarrassment. Maybe that isn't, shouldn't be uh, when we think of Jesus Christ and what he's done. But nonetheless, uh, today is a gift day. And uh, uh, part of that is uh, for the building, uh, which obviously we have a special appeal for and a, a challenge to raise funds for. Now, I have to confess that we probably got some extra bad news that we didn't really let you know because I didn't really think about it because I'm not very good with figures. Uh, but it is that we, we've talked and uh, BBC Scotland had uh, this picture of the church, which is a very beautiful picture. Thanks, Robin. And uh, an article about the, the church and the building and uh, the, the appeal being raised, looking to raise 90,000. We've got about 200,000. We need to raise 90,000. Uh, but what we haven't said is that within that uh, 200,000 that we've raised, we've budgeted for this gift day already, giving us 16,000. Okay, so only if we get more than 16,000 will that go towards the 90,000 shortfall. No pressure. Okay, but I just thought I'd let you know that, that that is part of, that the, well, we budgeted for this gift day and we budgeted it, maybe not on the day, but uh, in, in the days that lie ahead, that the congregation would give an extra 16,000 towards this and that the wider church and the wider Christian community, which we hope, and I hope you will pray, will support us because we, we are looking for God to work in people's hearts to give and support this, the work uh, of the church. But I want to say just briefly is that it's not, uh, we, we aren't engaged, uh, and I hope you appreciate this, we're not engaged in a vanity project. Uh, we uh, absolutely uh, believe that we are doing what is necessary and important. God has given us this old lady of a building and uh, she's in a very prominent place in the city. Uh, there's not many old buildings, churches like this in the city center, which still uh, are living churches that preach the gospel. There are some, but not many. Um, and we hope and pray that it will be a center uh, for gospel work in the capital city here. And we do uh, need to upgrade her for the next 30 or 40 years. It's not a short-term project. It's hopefully as we grow that we will uh, find that the church becomes, church space becomes more flexible, uh, that there is more space for us here. We're a bit squashed downstairs now. And uh, when we uh, raise the floor to one level, it's a bit safer, but also uh, we'll have seats in here, which will give us uh, more space and more flexibility and uh, more comfort. Uh, now, some people might argue about that. And you may argue and say, well, it's good enough as it is. And it's comfortable enough for us. Uh, that may be the case. Um, there are other much more practical issues about space for children and, and rooms uh, for different things. But I do wonder sometimes when we think like that, whether we're thinking inwardly or outwardly. We want the place to be as welcoming as it can, both the people, obviously, as 
the most important thing, but also the building we want to be welcoming. And we want the building to reflect our Savior just as much as our lives reflect the Savior. Just as you have in your homes, you invite people to your house, you want your house to look as good as it possibly can be within the resources that you have. You want it to be warm and comfortable for people who come and visit. And when they come for a meal, you want to give them a feast. You want to give them something good. You don't generally, we don't generally give those who come to visit to us beans on toast. Now we could argue, beans on toast is good enough for me. But generally speaking, when we have guests, and it's not because we're showing off, it's because we simply want to give them something really great. And we're not content just to give them beans and toast. And uh, beans and toast might be all we need, but when we've got friends and when we open our homes, we want to spoil them. And so in the same way, spiritually, we, we can be content with beans and toast here in the church, and it's good enough for us. But I do think sometimes that's an insular way of thinking. We're not looking out to the lost, and we're not looking out to uh, simply do the very best for them. I think Zacchaeus is a, a great example to us, that he wanted immediately not just to get rid of his wealth like it was a burden to him, but he wanted to share it. He wanted to, uh, he needed, I don't know what the verb is, to reparate, reparate, he wanted to give reparation for what he had done, more so, and he just got rid of so much of it, but he wanted others to share in that. And uh, so this gift day uh, uh, is uh, certainly uh, costly and, and sacrificial, but I hope you don't think in any way that it's a vanity project. We really do. Those who are working in the church uh, feel the need for uh, better facilities for the children. Uh, we're meeting, the children are meeting in corridors and in inappropriate rooms, in rooms that are small and that are not uh, geared for that. They've got expensive equipment in them and things like that. So uh, from that point of view, I think it's very important. Uh, and... Uh, the flexibility will enable us to, to serve God. And so it is very much an impossible task. But we'd ask you on this gift day to pledge, if you can't give, think about pledging, uh, to pray. And uh, if you're visiting, just to pray for us and pray with us. Uh, God, we pr ask that you'll pray, that God will lead us to generous givers out with the church as well, who will catch a vision for it. Can I ask you to pray uh, for the work itself? Uh, pray that it, it will go smoothly and well, that we'll only be out of the building the least amount of time we need to be, because we will need to be out of the building, that we'll have the right place to go and worship, that we'll all cooperate in that and the hassle and the difficulty that will be. Can I ask you to pray for the, the workmen, that we'll get the companies that will come and work, that we'll get an opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ, that they'll somehow catch the importance of what they're doing and do it to the very best of their ability, that they'll really do great work. I ask you to pray for these practical things about the building and about the work and t turn it into something as it should be that is spiritual and that is uh, uh, significant at that level and that we will give generously. I think if I think the figures of 80 of us gave 200 pounds each, is that right? We'd get the 16,000. So that gives you a kind of rough idea of where we're at. And then very briefly, just before we finish... Um, the second emphasis of today, the double whammy, as it were, is uh, this desire 
to challenge all of us about our givings on an ongoing, regular basis. Tenth for strength, and there's the uh, handout that you have in your own uh, bulletin sheets, which take time. Please take time to read that and to consider it. Um, and there's various forms within it, or there's forms on these tables that you can take away and fill in. Uh, it's more about our giving culture, and it's about the reflection of the generosity of grace in our lives, in our givings. And can I ask you to consider and to think about uh, giving a tenth of what you earn to the gospel? I believe you're here for such a time of this, at such a time as this. I believe it's a great time for the gospel in this city. Um, take and read the principles of giving from the New Testament about sacrificial, cheerful, regular, proportional giving and apply grace to your bank account and to what you receive from God. I think in the figures that we have, I, roughly speaking, and it's a very rough calculation, back of a stamp kind of calculation, but if uh, we were giving, if there were 80 givers or 70 or 80 givers uh, giving a tenth, uh, if we were on the national average wage, then our givings as a congregation would almost go up by 50%. And that is not for any other reason than that we can do more gospel work, that we can uh, uh, recognize as we grow, we will employ gospel workers and teachers, that we can have effective missionary uh, support and appeals. We can uh, have ancillary staff. We've got the added burden, and I'm scared to mention this, but we do have a mortgage as a church on the manse, which is an added burden that other churches, in the free church, and we don't have. We are getting fantastic help already, for, particularly for church planting and gospel work from donors uh, from the UK and also from uh, America. We have many gospel, gracious, kind, uh, willing, open-hearted people who are committed to gospel planting in Edinburgh and who have given us way beyond what we deserve in enabling us to uh, plant churches. And we've got young couples who are heading out into gospel work uh, with the financial uh, insecurity that they face, Tom and Charlene and uh, others that we will hope to, to send out into the work. And we're really asking that we can step up to the plate as well as a congregation and recognize the important part we can play in that. Uh, God is absolutely no man's debtor. And uh, ob obviously, uh, people are in all kinds of different places financially and God knows that and God understands that and it's not uh, uh, what we give that he's concerned with. It's, in a sense, it's what we don't give. And it's about our hearts and about our uh, motivations and about our understanding of grace. So our hope really is that we will be honeycomb givers here. And that tenth, that tithe, it's an Old, it's an old Testament model in many ways. Um, that is what was commanded of the people of God in the Old Testament. But with our understanding and knowledge of grace, it seems to be a good at least starting point for us where we could maybe give more uh, in our lives, knowing what we know and knowing the God uh, who never lets us down. And there's that great verse from Malachi 3, which speaks about bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not room enough to store it. 
Is that not one of the greatest verses in the Bible that speaks of the heart of God and of his willingness? His willingness. It's the kind of God we're going to, the kind of God that we think about. It's more about his willingness than our asking in many ways. And that can apply to us in our personal lives. Uh, Absolutely uh, in the way we deal uh, with uh, all of what we are. There is not enough room to store the blessing when we are generous towards God, spiritually, practically, financially, uh, in relationally, in every way, God pours out a blessing as uh, we serve and follow him. It might sometimes not be immediately uh, uh, recognizable, uh, but as we, rec- as we know who we are, and as like Zacchaeus, we recognize what we've been given, and uh, it changes our heart, and it loosens our grip on uh, the material things that can so often become idolatrous towards us. So I I commit these things to you. I didn't say any more, uh, uh, but ask that as uh, we sing together um, a a great song that uh, we've just learned recently, um, but very appropriate, My Worth Is Not In What I Own, uh, that we will do so thinking uh, about God's grace in our lives. And maybe you've come today and you're not a Christian, And you may think, well, there's the church just screwing us for money again. I hope you haven't thought that, and I hope you don't think that. But I hope rather that you think about the one who gave himself so and became poor uh, so that you might become rich. And uh, the amazing reality of that that will transform your life and your heart.